John 19, 17 to 42. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with, two, with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened it to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priest of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation. The next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus. And then those of the other but when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may also believe. These things happen so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. 
because it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. It's interesting what John remembers and how he pictures this cross day uh, for Jesus. Uh, first, I'd like, to, like you to see uh, a map of ancient Jerusalem. Uh, you can see it's, it's at Jerusalem at the time of Jesus. It uh, gives you some picture we've been talking about. Jesus at the upper room, um, in the praetorium where the sentencing took place. Um, just above that, you'll see Golgotha, the place of crucifixion, the place of the skull, and then a garden tomb uh, that's just a little ways beyond uh, where the cross was. Uh, crucifixion at the time of Jesus. The cross in Jesus' time was a instrument of torture and execution. There wasn't any figurative language like I'm taking up my cross or bearing a certain trial or burden. Death on a cross was shameful, excruciating, and often long and protracted. Modern methods of capital punishment differ from ancient methods in two significant ways. First, modern executions are done in private with only a few witnesses. Ancient executions were public spectacles with almost a, a carnival atmosphere. The express purpose was to deter crime and shame the criminal. Secondly, modern executions were designed to bring on death swiftly and painlessly. Ancient ways like crucifixion were purposely designed to last as long as possible with maximum agony. Nothing rivaled the cruelty of crucifixion. Crucifixion combined four qualities the Romans intended. Unrelenting agony, lengthy death, public spectacle, and utter humiliation. The devotional writer Oswald Chambers, as he thinks about the cross, says this, all of heaven was interested in the cross of Christ. All of hell was terribly afraid of it, while men are the only beings who more or less ignore its meaning. He had his cross day, and we have a cross day today. To focus in, not just in a communion way, but to think about the events, the pictures, the story, a laser focus on Jesus on the cross from the Gospel of John. A timeline of Jesus' crucifixion helps us to see that his final hours lasted from 9 in the morning to 3 in the afternoon. Mark tells us that about 9 o'clock, Jesus was put on a cross, the crucifixion begun. He was later insulted and mocked by the people. And about 11 o'clock, he speaks to Mary and to John. The Bible tells us that about noon, darkness covered the entire land. About one o'clock, Jesus calls out to his father. And at three, the ordeal is over. And Jesus has breathed his last. John tells us that Jesus was carrying his cross in verse 17. In Jesus' day, it was customary 
for the criminal under the sentence of death to carry his cross out to the place of execution. Typically, the cross had two parts. The horizontal beam that was usually carried by the, the condemned, maybe 100, 150 pounds. Secondly, a vertical post or a stake that would be sunk into the earth and would remain in place at the execution site. So Jesus begun, begins to carry and to drag this beam after he's been flogged, crown of thorns upon his head, and he walks along the Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering to his execution place outside the walls of Jerusalem. It was a heavy load. Jesus has been beaten and flogged and lost a lot of blood. He was weak and he could not bear the load. And with Jesus having lost so much, he, uh, John doesn't tell us, but somebody else carried his cross for him. Matthew and Luke tell us that Simon of Cyrene is seized from the crowd of onlookers and forced to carry the beam behind Jesus. They walked him to a place of the skull, Golgotha or Calvary. You can see this picture. This is a hillside outside of the Damascus Gate on the top. Today, there's lots of graves on the top there. But you can see from this picture, can't you? You can see those eye sockets. You can see that nose piece right there. And the mouth uh, just behind this photo is a Greyhound bus station. Who knew? Uh, and the mouth is covered where they paved over and over and over uh, in that area. This place was called the place of the skull. In Aramaic, it's called Golgotha. Uh, so we talk a lot about Golgotha. Sometimes we say uh, this place called Calvary. A lot of hymns written with the word Calvary. Where that word comes from is that King James used that word, uh, which was the Latin version of the same word, place of the skull. Um, uh, Calvaria meant uh, skull. So here we have this place. And John very simply says that at this place, they crucified him. Such a simple statement. John's readers, they didn't need much more description about what was happening. None of the gospels mention a lot about the procession from the palace to the place of crucifixion because it was as common as a funeral procession would be for us today. They knew all about it. Jesus says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Crucifixion had a very long history to understand the significance. I just, just realized that the Romans didn't invent crucifixion. It was probably the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians had a false god, a god of the earth, and they thought it was so inappropriate for them to crucify a criminal, um, someone on the earth. So they came up with this idea of lifting him up from the earth, this criminal. Um, the Romans looked at the cross in a different way. They they saw the cross as a tool, and they were experts at it. It was a tool of torture and punishment. They used this tool to tell people that if you get involved in crime in some way, if you cross the Roman Empire, empire you're going to face a cross. 
And the great thing about the cross to the Romans was that someone could be put out in front of the world for everyone to see. Their suffering and their pain would endure for a long time so that when they punished prisoners, many, many people would be brought under their control. That's how they saw it. The Jewish people saw the cross in their own way. Deuteronomy 21, 23 says, anyone whose body is displayed on a tree is cursed by God. They thought it was the most disgusting way to die. That's the way Jesus died. That's the way God chose for Jesus to die. When God put this verse in the law in Deuteronomy, he knew that Jesus would be cursed for our sins on the cross. The Phoenicians, a way to worship a false god. To the Romans, an instrument of torture and control. To the Jews, a disgusting form of death. But to the Christian, to the Christian, the cross. When we look at the cross, we see the glory of God. We see the love of God presented to us. It's an expression of John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The Romans, they were good at it. They had special executioners whose sole job was to carry out the execution. So Jesus is brought up to that hill, a place where the standing post would be. And they lay him down on this beam. The executioners have the tools of their trade. They have a, a leather apron with pouches. Inside of the pouches are five-inch nails and a hammer thrown off to the side. They are the tools of execution. He would kneel, put down his right arm, the one that would be crucified, put his knee there to hold him down and find the place, just the right place in the wrist between the bones so that no bones would be broken and no arteries would be pierced so that the prisoner would live as long as possible, to be tortured as long as possible. Then he'd take one of those five-inch nails and place it in that hollow place and draw the hammer back and drive it through the flesh and into the wood. That's what Jesus did for you. That's what Jesus did for us. He did it out of love for all of us. He would do the right arm, then the left arm, and then the prisoner would be raised up onto the, onto the cross, the cross being placed on the, the vertical beam. The executioner would then uh, attach the sign. See, John, John was an eyewitness to all this. He, he's given us all these insight as Jesus is crucified at a place called the place of the skull. There they crucified him. Next, John tells us that there were along with him two criminals, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. James and John had asked for a place at Jesus right and left in his glory. But as Jesus is glorified in death, at his left and right are robbers, common thieves. And now he makes intercession for them. Isaiah 53 says he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made transgression 
excuse me, intercession for the transgressors. Luke tells us that one of the thieves came to faith in Christ on his cross. Next, John tells us about a sign, a sign that was above Jesus' head. You see the sign there. Usually, the sign would be put up to clearly say what the person was guilty of. So it was the custom for the crime for which the person was being sentenced for crucifixion to be written on a board or a placard and hung around his neck or, or carried before him on the way to the place of execution. Then it was fastened to the cross. The purpose of this placard was to publicize to the people that walked by that this kind of crime will result in this kind of punishment. The placard tells the reason that Jesus was crucified for all the world to see. He is the king of the Jews. And for this, he has been crucified. He is the king of the Jewish, the king the Jewish leaders rejected, but remains still the king, the Messiah, nevertheless. The sign is so impressive. John's been telling us throughout his gospel that he wants us to know who the Christ is and that we would believe in him. He's told us he is the word. He is the good shepherd. He is the light. He is the way, the truth, and the light. He is the vine. He wanted us to see who Jesus really is. And the reason the sign is so important is it shows who Jesus is right there on the cross. There, the sign. How can you miss it? Written in three different languages. Here he is dying. What, is it? what does it tell us? Well, we learned that there is no circumstance that can diminish the power of who Jesus is. They take him to the cross to crucify him. They drive nails in his hands and still the sign reads, King. There's no circumstance that can diminish the power of who he really is. That's true in your life and in mine. That's what the sign tells us. The sign also tells us that the world can see, clearly see who Jesus is right from the beginning. The Bible tells us that this sign was put where many could read it. Many Jews saw it, John says. Nobody can say that they don't know who Jesus is. It was right there on the cross when he died. How could anybody miss it? And it says written in three different languages so that the whole world can know. Do you know that God ever sent cross day? has been writing the truth about who Jesus did is in every language, in every tongue, for all people, for all time. He wants the world to know how much he loves us. That says to me, you can't change it. People all the time want to try to change the truth about who Jesus is, but it can't be changed. The truth is greater than any human being. Next, John mentions the soldiers. The soldiers divide up Jesus' garments. While in the praetorium where he was beaten, Jesus had been dressed in mockery, clothes of royalty. He comes to Golgotha in his own clothes. It was the custom that the soldiers would be given the clothing of the crucified, John mentions that this incident clearly fulfills Scripture. Psalm 22, a band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count 
all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Psalm 22. Doesn't that stun you? That that was written so long before? It reveals that Jesus' death was not a tragic martyrdom, but that it was prophesied long ago and takes place right precisely according to God's plan. It's likely that Jesus was crucified completely naked. The one article of clothing that they are drawing lots for was his undergarment called a chiton, a long garment worn next to the skin and would be ruined if it was divided. So this undergarment helps you realize as some of the early pictures of Jesus' crucifixion revealed that he was crucified, shamefully, completely naked. Later photos loved to put a loincloth on him, but that wasn't how he was crucified. Another picture that John couldn't forget about the cross was the picture of Mary uh, at the foot of the cross. Uh, He's dying there. Of the, of the four gospel writers, John is the only one that records that Mary is present at the cross. Her son is in trouble, arrested, tried, condemned, now dying. Surely, Mary's place is close to her son, and she's near him now. Her heart is broken. She is consoled by her friends. They are there with the disciple whom Jesus loved, likely John the disciple identified with the author as the author of this gospel. He sees his mother there, takes care of her as he's in this moment of suffering. John tells us that Jesus says in verse 28, I am thirsty. It's Jesus' fifth word of seven from the cross. It has become hard for Jesus to breathe, to even get a breath Hung from his arms, he must pull himself up each time that he wants to breathe. His shoulders are aching, his mouth is parched, his face is full of pain, he is exhausted. And yet, he doesn't want to die without a final word. He asks for something to drink, to wet his lips, for his final effort, his final words uh, to be spoken And it is another fulfillment of Scripture. So what does Jesus say? What does he proclaim? He says, it is finished. A cry of victory. A cry of obedience fulfilled. Jesus has done what he has been sent to do. He has taught truth using the very words of the Father. He has revealed the glory of the Father through his miracles. His words have eternal life. He has borne the sins of all the world upon the cross, and now it is accomplished. It is finished. The verb here is one word, testalate. Testalate. It means the bill has been paid in full. The obligation has been completed. The debt has been paid off. Testalate. 
It is finished. Christ's redemption is finished and complete forever. As the writer of Hebrews says, Christ uh, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. It is finished. It is complete. And with that, Jesus bows his head and gave up his spirit. Simple words, but what does it tell us? He gave up his spirit. It says to you and me that Jesus didn't get his life taken from him. He gave it up. He gave up his spirit. He decided when he was going to the cross. He decided what, was going, what he was going to say when he was on the cross. He decided when he was going to die. He gave up his spirit. To verify that Jesus was indeed dead, one of the soldiers pierces Jesus' side. You can see the scene there. When he does that, he does it in place of breaking the legs of the crucified. The first thief, his legs are broken. The second thief, his legs are broken so that he would die more quickly before the Sabbath comes. But Jesus was already dead. So they pierce him with a spear. When he does that, the Roman soldier does, blood and water come flowing out of Jesus, indicating to him that Jesus is already dead. The significance for us is the assurance that Jesus actually died. He did not appear to die. He actually died for you. Thus, the, the resurrection becomes a full-blown miracle, not just a, a fortunate resuscitation of a crucified one. So it's over. John proclaims that he is an eyewitness testimony to what has happened. Jesus breathed his last. He's gone. Now his friends and disciples work quickly to see an honorable burial before nightfall and the, the Sabbath that begins Friday night at sundown. Both Joseph and Nicodemus are there. They are wealthy men. Joseph of Arimathea, he owns a private tomb, newly hewn out of a rock in the garden near. In this family tomb that was never used, Joseph makes a place for our master. For his part, Nicodemus purchases expensive preparations, spices for burial. John mentions myrrh and aloes that would have been used to reduce the smell of a decaying body. 75 pounds, he says. It suggests a quantity of spices that might be used for a royal burial. It is. The spices were inserted into the wrappings as they wrapped each limb and the body with the linen. And they take him to a garden tomb 
Maybe something like this. This garden tomb had a small track in front of it so that you could see where the, the stone would be there to be rolled away and a doorway in this garden. That Jesus is buried in a brand new tomb reflects the great esteem that Joseph holds for Jesus. And it also counteracts any suggestion that when Jesus' body is missing on resurrection morning, that the women mistake it for another uh, burial. The cross of Christ, it's our cross. It's his cross day, but this is our cross day. Uh, I have a gift for you. Uh, it's a ring. So if you would pass those, just pass it out. I'm wearing one of these rings, and while you're receiving your ring, I'll tell you a little story. Oops, I am so sorry. It's definitely my fault. Thank you for helping me with that. The story is a familiar one, the prodigal son. You recall the prodigal son wanted to get his inheritance so that he could go out and have a lavish living with his friends. He takes his inheritance and he wastes it all. Pretty soon we find him in a pig pen. He's in a pig pen and he's evaluating uh, how his life is going. And the scripture says that he came to his senses. He came to his senses and realized what he had done. And he makes his way back to his house. You remember he's practicing his little speech, his apology to his father. But you know where his father is, right? His father's waiting. His father's watching for him. Uh, many times we, we might think he's watching from his yard there and he's waiting. Maybe he recognized the, uh, the countenance of, of that one coming down the road, maybe and waiting for a long time. But when he meets his son on the road, he offers him some things. Remember, first of all, I think he hugged him, right? Uh, embraced him as dirty and filthy as he was. He not only embraced him, but he said, bring, bring the robe and bring the shoes and let's have the fatted calf. And he says, bring the ring. Bring the ring. What's the, what's the importance of the ring? The, the ring would have been family identification, welcoming back into the family. So today I'm giving you a ring. It's a cross ring because this is our cross. This is the cross that he has laid out uh, for us. He comes to us. Notice that it, that it is about not only the world, but how personal and individual and compassionate is. You remember in the other gospels, when Jesus is on the cross, one of the first things he says is, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Now, I don't know how you act when you're sick and suffering, but I bet you don't do a lot of caring for other people when you're suffering, right? We stay, we're focused on ourselves and on what we need because we're sick. And we're hurting, but Jesus, over and over, we see him very individualistic in responding. Notice how he reaches out to the thief on the cross. He's not just thinking about himself. 
He is welcoming a thief on the cross that you will get to meet in heaven. He cared about him. He cared about his mother, made sure that she was taken care of. It's really just remarkable. It's remarkable the care that he had, this amazing care that he offered. He encourages these individuals. Jesus Christ, while he is uh, suffering and struggling in the midst of this situation, he comes and he realizes that he's caring for those that are around him while he is suffering. Do you know that Jesus died for you? Just as he cared for that thief on the cross, he cares about you. Jesus' cross is the source of our faith, the source of our faith in Christ. It's an incredible picture of faith. That's why, that's what the cross does to us. It's a picture of the kind of faith that God wants in our life. Galatians uh, 2.20 Paul is talking about it, and he describes this expression of faith through the cross. Uh, we'll read it together. It'll be on the screen. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Ready? I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Could we stop right there? Did, did you feel that? He's connecting us to his cross day. Start over. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Praise God. That's what the cross is for. That's how we picture it in our life. We see a change in priority. We see a change in what is important in us. He is interested in us, and he gave himself on a cross. Such a picture. Through the cross of Christ, I am forgiven and clean before God. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. In this way, God took away Satan's power to accuse of sin. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. He has given himself. It pictures us as through the cross, being forgiven and clean before God. Jesus' last words in John, it is finished. What do you think about when you hear that? It depends on the circumstances. You can hear uh, it is finished and you think about finishing a project or maybe something that, that you've been working on that's accomplished. Maybe a carpenter would say the, the, the work is done. Maybe he would have known that word from being and working in the carpenter shop with his, with his father. You know, when Jesus says it is finished, it's as if he's on a battlefield and the war has been accomplished. The death of Jesus on the cross defeated the enemies of sin and Satan and evil. I mean, don't let the fact that you have a battle or two going on in your everyday life to cause you to forget what Jesus Christ cried on the cross. It is finished. He's won the victory. 
He's gathered everything up and completed the mission that he had for us. It is finished. The battle is over. It is finished. And Jesus is Lord. There's a line that's been drawn through the ages. On that line stood an old rugged cross. On that cross, a battle is raging. For the gain of man's soul or its loss. On one side march the forces of evil. All the demons and devils of hell. On the other the angels of glory and they meet on Golgotha's hill the earth shakes with the force of the conflict the sun to shine for their hands God's son in the balance and then through the darkness he cries it is finished the
Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for cross day. Thank you for helping us through your word to really be there, to see what happened, what you took upon yourself. And today we just want to say thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for sacrificing. Thanks for giving. Lord, we, we really weren't any better off than that thief on the cross next to you. But you made a way. And today we receive it. Many in this room, they, they stood because they know you have done it for them. You gave yourself for them. Maybe, maybe there's someone in this room today, Lord, that's never made that decision. But maybe they, maybe they never found themselves at the foot of the cross and realized that you embraced them just like that daddy embraced that prodigal boy. Lord, Anyone that's in this room today that needs the redemption that the cross provides, I pray that you would grant it to them today. That someone in this room would be saved because of seeing the cross. We celebrate you. We worship you. We thank you that you are willing to go to the cross. We celebrate your cross day and our cross day. And we praise you together. In Jesus' name, everybody loudly, amen. amen. Praise God. God bless you.